This is Anabaptist Perspectives. I'm here in Lancaster with Randall, and uh, you're currently in the States, but you've been serving overseas. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you serving, and, and what does it look like on a typical day there? Great question. So uh, first of all, my name is Randall Graber, and married to Althea here from Lancaster County. We have one child, Alexander, who was just born December 7th, actually. So he's about six months old. So enjoying life with the new one. And we serve in Lesbos, Greece, uh, with Christian Aid Ministries there. Um, the program is the Re Refugee Discipleship Center, is kind of the name of the program. Um, we have been there about two and a half years now, since spring of 2018. Two oh, wow. years, okay. about two years, a little over two years. So it's basically home at this point. Yeah, for us, for us, it is mostly home. Um, we feel at home there. We really enjoy the work, enjoy the people, enjoy the culture. Beautiful place as well. That's a bonus. Mm -hmm. We didn't, we didn't go to Greece <laughs> to, uh, you know, uh, go enjoy the scenery and the beautiful islands, but it is a bonus. Yeah, <laughs> sure. So what, like, what does it look like, like on a normal day? You know, how does your week start? That is a great question, and every day is often different. But for myself, my main responsibility with the work there is just kind of as the field administrator. You also have to understand there's only two families there, so it's pretty small. So okay. we do a lot of overlapping back and forth our responsibilities. But mostly I would be responsible for the accounting, the finances, the office work, um, also the, if any buildings we rent or own or any vehicles we have, maintenance, logistical stuff like that, and also program uh, management and kind of overseeing. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, we just have the one program there, which Nathaniel Yoder, uh, who is currently there, um, manages that. Okay. So. so you mentioned refugees, but we're talking about Greece here. So why, why are there refugees in Greece? Like, what's the story that caused them to, to arrive there? That is a good question. And in every situation, the circumstances, are, they change. They're different. Um, for the most part, refugees are fleeing war or poverty governmental issues, oppression. Basically, you can kind of often uh, tell what they're fleeing from depending on which country they're from. Uh, we have refugees from all over, from Africa. Uh, most of them would be from the Middle East, and it also depends where at, on which island in Greece uh, you are. Different islands have different uh, majority groups. Uh, the island we're on, Lesbos, is ma the majority would be from Afghanistan and Iran. Afghanistan. So how did they get all the way from Afghanistan to... Greece? Most of them will either bring bus or walking um, across wow. the borders and most of the stories, a lot of people I know that have told me their stories are often fleeing, especially the borders. The borders are very critical. They can normally bring like buses or public transportation up to borders and then when it comes to actually crossing the border they have to do that dark, after night, fleeing gunfire. There's a, there's a lot of uh, crazy stories you hear from the people. Yeah. Um, crossing the borders, um, but they would have to cross quite a few borders and often they end up staying in Turkey as well for a while, for several years. Not always, sometimes it depends on the situation before they eventually make it to uh, Lesbos there. Wow, so like on a map, where, where are we at here? So we, we, you have Greece, I know Turkey's right there, Mediterranean Sea, you're on an island, so where where you fit in? In comparison to Europe or the Middle East? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, so Lesbos is in a very strategic location, actually. It's like a, it's, it's a natural bottleneck. It always has been a migration bottleneck, really, throughout okay. history. 
but it's it's just off the coast of Turkey. The closest point is about five, six miles from Turkey. That's where the majority of the refugees make it across there on their rubber rafts. Um, they also come along the whole western, eastern side of the island there against Turkey, some places 12, 15 miles uh, from Turkey. And then uh, as far as Lesbos in comparison to the rest of Europe, if you look at a map, you'd think it'd be Turkey. It's so close to Turkey. Interesting. Um, so that, that part is really interesting, yeah. Hmm. So the question would be then, why are they serving Greece? Like, aren't there lots of other places along, I guess you could say, the refugee trail where these people are coming that might be more needy? Why did you choose Greece? There's kind of two questions there. Why serve in yeah. Greece and why, do, why did I serve in Greece? Why did I choose to serve in Greece? Um, you know, as with many other things in life, there's not only one place where the need is exactly. So we personally felt uh, called to the work there uh, through a through several events in our life that led us there, and especially Dean Taylor was very instrumental in getting us involved there. So okay. I yeah. believe a uh, mutual friend there. Yeah, we've interviewed him a number of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it is a very intense place to work. It's a very good place to go, at least for a short amount of time. I would recommend you to go anyone to go. Um, just the experience you get is really life-changing for a lot of people. Just seeing these people, what they're fleeing from, and the situation that they're in, even in Lesbos, which is Europe, the situation is very bad as well. And just seeing these people um, and their situations, you know, it, it, it really is heartbreaking. And so it really, it really, it pulls your heart uh, once you get there, you get involved, you start to know people. But there is many other places as well that have needs. So I'm not saying Greece is the only place. <laughs> there's needs everywhere. In mainland Greece, there's lots of refugees, lots of needs uh, on through Europe. Um, there's, there's many needs. So if I'm understanding it right, you know, Lesbos is a pretty small island, so it's more of a transit, correct? It's like refugees are coming, but after a while we get full. So they are at some point hopefully get to mainland Greece or the rest of Europe. Is, is yes. that right? Yes, that is, that is true. The past couple years, the new arrivals have been trending down. Um, generally speaking, uh, the new arrivals have been coming down, but the people leaving the island and the people leaving Greece have decreased quite a bit. Oh, so they're kind of stuck. In a lot of ways, the refugees are kind of stuck there, unfortunately, and especially the political situation. It seems like the, the, the political situation has swung a little bit right, more right-wing across the whole EU, really. Anymore, it makes the news if one country accepts 20 refugees from Greece. It makes the national headlines. Uh, whereas back in 2015, you know, thousands and even millions of refugees were being accepted into the other countries. So that has also played into the dynamics why there's still so many refugees there in Greece. And the numbers on Lesbos Island are as high or higher than they've ever been, actually. Wow, so they're like just crunching them in because yeah. it's not, so you still have people coming, maybe less than mm -hmm. usual, but they're still coming, but there's not as many going to their actual destination exactly. country. Exactly, yes. There is uh, currently, as we speak, there in Moria camp. I don't know the official number, but often most people I'm hearing say around 20,000. Mm. And then there's a few other smaller refugee camps on the island as well. So to put it in perspective, Lesbos Island, they say has 90,000 Greek people on it. And Mytilene, the capital, has 30,000. And so in one refugee camp, Moria camp, there's 20,000 refugees, Whoa. to put it in perspective, yeah. 
Boy, that, that would be really taxing on, on the rest, like the local population. It is. Well, so it that is. kind of transitions to the next point then too, because how, so you're there to serve these people, these refugees in a de desperate situation. They need help, granted. Yep. But how do we do that without neglecting the local populace as well, the, the Grecian people? You know, that is an excellent question, one that we grapple with daily or weekly there on the ground. How do we serve the refugees in a Christ-like way while also not neglecting or offending the local people. Um, you know, there's, I, I think the biggest thing you can do is just have that mindset as well that we're here to help the locals as well. And they are the host, they are the host people actually. You are living in their houses, their property, their land. And so uh, over the years, they've, they initially were very welcoming, very friendly, but the last couple years they have been actually fairly hostile towards the refugees, towards foreigners. So we're always looking for creative ways to help them out as well. In fact, the, the, the last couple of weeks because of the coronavirus situation, um, we actually converted our refugee center into a mask factory. Um, wow. And we were making masks for the Greek people, the police, the firefighters. So that was kind of a way that we could give out. And I feel like we made more connections and built more bridges probably in the last two months than we did the year prior, just wow. doing refugee ministry as far as with mm -hmm. the local people. So that has been a big blessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's an interesting dynamic and we're always looking for ideas, praying for guidance because it's difficult uh, when the locals are tense because of all the situations that have happened. And I mean, it makes sense. You know, if you have a refugee camp that's almost as big as your entire capital city, yeah. that would be a little unnerving. Yeah, there's a lot of fear. They have really? a lot of wow. fear and there's a lot of crime as well. I mean, they, honestly, I. Without Jesus in a person's heart, this is, this is the result you have. You have fear and these issues. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, a Greek person shot a refugee with a shotgun mm. in the back. I mean, it was far enough away that it didn't kill the man, unfortunately, but it was, it was pretty serious. Um, but it was there again, it was because these refugees had stolen, I think four or five times previously on, off of this guy's property. They stole some sheep, stole some things. Oh, wow. And so the police force is just not very adequate to manage the crime rates, especially after dark. And in fact, our refugee center there, we've probably had six to eight break-ins over a course of several months um, as well. Just uh, as the numbers inflate, unfortunately, there's just more bad refugees who are there to uh, rob and yeah, it's unfortunate. And maybe the situation, you know, as if it gets desperate enough too, yeah. right? Is, exactly. It is pretty desperate exactly. right now, I'm assuming. Exactly. Like, yeah. like, are we talking, you know, they're, they're having uh, difficulty getting access to even just the most basic things, you know, um, food, shelter, clothes, that type of thing, and that's causing these levels of desperation? That's a good question. I wouldn't say the level of desperation really is any worse uh, than it was previously, but the level of, uh, what do you want to call it, accommodations or the level of life that the refugees get is very, very low. Uh, mm -hmm. You'd think Europe, they would at least have decent accommodations, but they really don't. Moria Camp is, uh, I think it's about 12, 15 acres, and there's 20,000 people on it, so it's very densely populated, oh. and about three-fourths of them live in tents, I would guess, and a lot of these are also just structures built from pallets. They'll put tarps over them. The toilet situation, the bathroom facilities, 
I think they say it's several hundred refugees for every toilet. So the sanitary conditions are very, very poor. They do get meals as far as food. Uh, they do provide food for them. Uh, it normally doesn't taste the greatest. They'll often buy some other seasonings and stuff and they'll cook them up uh, in their tents and actually make them taste better. But they, they do get provided basic food and basic shelter, but the standard is, is very low, unfortunately. So when we look at a situation like that, what can we be doing to help? You know, Jesus came for the least of these, the refugee, the homeless, the people in dire situations. Where does the church fit into this picture? That is a great question. In my mind, uh, when, you, when you say, where does the church belong in this picture, my mind goes to Matthew 28, um, the Great Commission, where uh, Jesus says, go out teaching these people, discipling them, baptizing them uh, among all nations. But looking beyond, I, I think, one, and one of our biggest uh, visions for our work there is, is not so much the humanitarian aid aspect as they do have basics provided. Uh, the standard is very, very low, and it's unfortunate. And we do uh, offer, we do try to, when there's special situations, special needs, to help out in the humanitarian aid stand, or in the that part of it. But our main focus is more for their spiritual health, their well-being, and you know, it's it's such an opportunity when people get everything taken away from them. They fled home. They fled everything. They have nothing left. Their hearts are left asking questions. Their hearts are very open. And it has been a tremendous opportunity for um, God's Word there. And people are very open. They're thirsty. Um, really nowhere else have I seen it with Muslim people, um, the hunger and thirst. So that's kind of, it feels like, what we're trying to uh, provide and kind of capital, or not uh, to focus on, mm -hmm. as it feels like that is really the most eternal impact we can have yeah. with these refugees, is kind of the approach we've taken. But there's, there's many ways, and I love to see when you can do both. Mm. It really works the best when you can do both. Not really focusing on one or the other, but if they see that you genuinely care for them, you're helping them, and you're also showing them the salvation message, Jesus' teachings, they are very, uh, a lot more receptive. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the, the, the love that radiates from your life, they, they, they see it. Yeah. And so that the testimony is a big part of it as well. So like those that are watching this, what's some way that they can get involved if they want to help? Great question. Um, there's several organizations. If you want to get involved in Greece, um, there's several organizations that bring volunteers over. But one of the biggest ways you can get involved is pray. There's many ways to be involved, really. So with your time there in, in Greece, what is one thing you've learned from your refugee friends? Excellent. Um, I, the, the first thing that comes to my mind that I have learned is being content. It's, it's interesting. It's maybe not the first thing that would come to your mind when you think of uh, difficult situations and hardly the, the, the bare necessities of life are provided, but yet I have seen it time and time again in these refugees' lives, especially the Christian refugees. You know, they have so little, but yet they're content. They're happy with where they are. And it has really challenged me as an American with all the blessings we have as Americans to be content and to use our material uh, blessings. There's many blessings that come with being American. We can travel freely. 
um, using these to assist these refugees, to benefit them in ways that we can, and most, most of all benefiting God's kingdom, building His kingdom. Um, but that is probably one of the biggest things for me, just being content with, uh, with life and the situation yeah. that, I, you know, yeah. that you find yourself in and not being discontent, yeah. So following that up then, what is one story of a refugee, say, that you find is, is fairly typical of what these people have been through that kind of takes all we've talked about, sums it up into one package? What's the story you could share with us to, to close this out? I have many stories running through my head and it feels like the names, the details kind of all uh, blur together and I'm, I'm not a very detailed person so I'll do my, I'll do my best uh, recollecting the details. I do have one man in mind actually and I'll change his name, we'll call him Ali. Um, this is not his real name but he was from Iran and he's middle-aged in his 30s and he had gone to uh, school, went to college. He was a professional uh, engineer. He, he had a very well-paying job and he was very respected. And his situation, the political pressures there in Iran are very difficult. If you don't really agree with what the government wants you to support and be a part of, you'll end up in jail. You can very easily. So there's a lot of uh, political refugees. He would be what I would consider a political refugee just because of the political situation there. So he just decided it was better off for him and his future to flee. Um, he entrusted all of his money, his bank accounts to one of his friends. And he said, hey, when I get to Greece or wherever I'm going to Europe, you know, you can, you can, you have power of attorney, you can send it to me. And he was very well to do. Um, but he, after quite a few years, I don't remember exactly how long, he made it to Turkey. He met a friend there who, was bring, who brought him to church. That's kind of where he was first introduced to Christianity. And it kind of pricked his uh, interest a little bit. He didn't give his life to Christ then. Also, uh, while he was in Turkey, his friend back in Iran that he had entrusted all of his wealth to his bank accounts, it was also a car, I believe, he essentially transferred everything to his name and just disappeared. Oh, oh. And so he was dealing with a lot of bitterness and frustration, but what do you do? He can't go back, he, he needed to go forward. So he dealt with a lot of difficult things in his life. Through the situation, he actually kind of discovered the freedom of forgiveness. He had never really been introduced to Christianity and what Jesus teaches about forgiveness, but he was kind of introduced to it, uh, or it, he, he discovered the freedom of forgiveness because he was so bitter for so long, he's like, you know, I have to give it up. And then when he came to Lesvos, Greece, he came to the facility there, to the discipleship center. He spoke some English as well, so we got to know him very well. And he eventually kept coming, built a relationship, was coming to church, coming to class, and he gave his life to Christ. We baptized him there uh, on Lesvos, and he's still there, and a very active member in the church and the group there. And it was just really special, the, the part of his story where he discovered forgiveness. And then when he became a Christian, he was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Because yeah, here's okay. Jesus in the Bible talking about forgiveness, and he had never, never heard these teachings before. So wow. it really connected with him. It was really interesting. Yeah. But yeah, there's many refugees, many other stories fleeing a lot of hardships. A lot of refugees flee war-torn areas. Family members killed, blown up, uh, a lot of difficulties, especially Afghanistan um, mm -hmm. and Syria. 
and Iraq. We don't deal as much with the Syrian and Iraqi refugees. There's not a whole lot of them on Lesbos, so. Okay, so that's probably changed then in the last. Yes, uh, most of those actually go to the next island south. Um, okay. It's kind of just transitioned to that over the past couple years. Mm -hmm. um, most of the Arabic refugees go to the next island to the south, Chios, mm -hmm. or at least that's the way it was a few months ago. So, lots of needs, a lot yes. of opportunities, yes. a lot so of things much. to pray about, I guess. Yes. Wow. Wow. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to share. I really appreciate this and blessings in your work. Absolutely. Thank you, Reagan. It was a pleasure. For more information about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit anabaptistperspectives.org. We'd love to hear from our audience, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for listening to Anabaptist Perspectives. Your listening and sharing this with friends helps more people find our episodes. A special thanks to all of you who support Anabaptist Perspectives financially. We are here because of you. If you haven't had the chance to give yet this year, would you consider making a year-end donation? You can donate on our website or by check. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.